the queen is dead, boys. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Adam Pecora. I know you thought it was Morrissey. Uh, <laughs> you've tuned into Requiem for a Tuesday. How the hell are you? Um, p- playing sick, as you know. Your boy always, uh, always steps up. Playing hurt. Uh, sore throat, congestion, you name it. We battle through for the people. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast to give me a reason to keep doing it. Please listen and share. Thank you. Um, the edible episode last week went very well, so thanks to all those who tuned in. I'm, you know, I'm not going to complain about doing edibles. Um, but I'll complain about doing a podcast during it instead of doing something else. So... <laughs> I'm glad that was worth it for everybody, and uh, we'll do another one of those in like three weeks. Big one today. Been teasing this for a minute. Oh, man. Excuse me. We'll definitely try to keep that to a minimum today, folks. Um, In true David Fincher fashion, I did need to record the intro like five times, so I feel like that got me in the right zone, the right headspace. We're doing a thousand fucking takes of this episode. Uh, I've actually been recording this since nine in the morning. It's now 5.50 p.m., so maybe this will come out in time. I don't know. I'm just too much of a perfectionist. Anyway, you got that joke right at the beginning. I didn't need to drag that out. We're talking The Killer today. Uh, It's now been out for, oh, I guess not that long. I was going to say a week, but it came out on the 10th. Uh, uh, But what the hell? You know, you had all weekend to watch it. Uh, I saw this about two weeks ago in theaters, so maybe that's where I got confused. Um, I have not rewatched it since then, so... You know, take that with a grain of salt. But the theatrical experience is obviously superior. We don't even need to question that. So hopefully I retained enough information. Which I believe I did. I thought it was great. Let's just start right there. Um, From the beginning, I feel like, we all knew, according to David Fincher himself, that he was kind of looking to do just a more scaled-down thing. Everything doesn't need to be this, like, opus prep. You know what I mean? Like, there doesn't need to be, like, is this the best of his movies? It doesn't need to be this always, like, giant artistic feat and, like, multi-year endeavor. Although, obviously, this has been in the works for him for quite some time. But I think you get what I mean. A lower-stakes movie, something that's a little more fun. I imagine he was like, man, Ryan Johnson's having a great time or something like that. Um, Even PTA kind of expressed the same thing, although I would say that Licorice Pizza counts as a major work for him. Um, that's, That's a great example of a guy who does not have minor works. I mean, inherent vice, if you want to call that that, but I would just call that a failure. Um, not a fan, but maybe he has the one, um, I feel like punch drunk's too popular to be considered that. Um, but I guess maybe you could say that he has some himself, you know, Tarantino, you could say death proof, 
or maybe just the movies he wrote. But then it's like, well, then what are we talking about? That's a whole different conversation. Um, maybe Jackie Brown, but it's like, are those minor? I guess they're only minor works just in that they haven't lived up the same way, but I don't think that they were like decidedly a simpler project. I think I'm over explaining and thinking this. Um, so hopefully I was right about something. <laughs> I don't know. Look, all I'm trying to say is this doesn't need to be a like Mount Rushmore movie. You can just make a fun, very good movie that made sense for you to make. And that's what we had. Um, look, like there, there are better movies about assassins. Are there more well-made movies about assassins? That's an argument. Um, like, is there this level of detail in other movies that have this same... Really, just entire plot. I was going to say general concept, but the hit goes awry and the hitman's on the run. I mean, it's... That's essentially even what Jason Bourne is about. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's every type of... This is a general story that exists. And really, even a lot of the elements of what this killer does are not unique. Um, there's even a kill in this that directly reminded me of something that happened in Breaking Bad, which I'll get into. The point is, overall, that I'm trying to make, I guess, is that this is not supposed to be a groundbreaking, unique thing. It's everything but that. It is another story that's the same told by a guy who wants to tell one of these fucking things. And that's fun. You know? A lot of the film nerds... This is why I'm really saying this. A lot of the film nerds are up and like really doing too much where they're like, you don't understand how much depth is behind like every fucking second of every single thing in this one. And look, it's not out of the realm of like literal possibilities, but it just... I feel like that's a fan trying so hard to like to like need this. Like there needs to be hidden meaning in all these things because I've been looking for it. And I think if you're explicitly looking for it, you can just invent things to mean whatever you want. That's what bothers me about when people I've said this on this show going back to the beginning. It bothers me when people take interpretations as that they've come away with from the movie as fact basically because they have a job to write about movies it makes them think that they know more than what the director themselves has publicly stated and it's like sure Fincher's not going to reveal things like that so you kind of have to do that or David Lynch will literally never tell you a fucking thing because that's his whole thing I get it but can this movie just be about an assassin? And yeah, maybe he sprinkled in some things for fucking fun. That's what David Fincher does. But there's a lot of talk of like, this is all a metaphor for every part of his movie. And it's like, well, is it a metaphor for it? Or is there maybe a slight subtle reference? Because he's a funny guy and wants to put in like subtle little jokes for people to find. I just think 
this movie about an assassin that's mostly a, a comedy when it's not an action thriller that has, again, a plot that has been done over dozens upon dozens, if not thousands of times. That's an odd jump to make. I understand it. But I think you filled in the gaps there. There's hundreds next. Like, maybe he's just having fun. Why can't he just have fun? To satisfy your whatever need to, like, love every mo- every frame, like every frame was labored over forever. I get that this is the guy that does that. But maybe this was the time where he's like, maybe I don't have to do that. And I will get into why that's a very explicit point to me. Because there is one part of this movie that completely took me out of the movie and is the least David Finchery thing that goes against, well, it goes towards my point that I was just making, but it goes against every point of the like, this man is such a perfectionist that nothing would ever be released that I don't like in one of these movies where it's like you could point out flaws in all of his movies except the social network, I would say. But even there, there's like a couple line readings where I'm like, eh, but that's just because I've seen it too many times to notice things like that. And there is a limit, I'll say, to where you could be like, eh, how perfect was that? It can't ever literally be perfect. Anyway, we get the point. Let's dive in. Okay, so this movie is basically an episodic thing. Um, We go like city to city and have to fight or kill or evade something each time. So essentially, we'll just call it chapter one is in Paris. And now this is the intro. You learn every single thing you could possibly know about this guy. And then that's about it. And then (laughs) there's a sequence, and then you have to move to the next city. And then the next city, you'll learn about another character or how to find that character, and et cetera, et cetera, and we'll move on. So we start out in Paris. Wonderful place. Some say I hate the French, so I hope to never find out. (laughs) Uh... Of course, the great Michael Fassbender plays the character. He was lured out of race car driving for this. Thank God. He's a phenomenal actor whom I love. David Fincher, as I've stated many times, I would say the best pure director of this generation. So century, essentially, you know, however you want to frame it, even through the 90s, though. Um Obviously, that's debatable. You know, I'd put PTA right up there, Tarantino right up there. But I think David Fincher could direct one of their scripts. And it would still be a hell of a movie. You know what I'm saying? Which is, you know, obviously that would never happen where those guys wouldn't direct their own movies. But I like that David Fincher, like, for a guy who needs all this control, doesn't even need to write his own scripts. And maybe it's because, you know. Writers are good. Let people do their jobs. Anyway. (laughs) So we start out in Paris. Now, for the entire first scene in Paris, it's just him setting up this kill. So it's all voiceover. Uh, It's an internal internal monologue. It's narration, whatever you want to fucking call it. Doesn't really matter. 
Uh, you essentially learn that this guy loves the Smiths. He follows very strict routines, as you would expect, like an assassin to do. Um, very regimented, blah, 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 blah. You can't know anybody. You can't be friends with anybody. You got to hide. You know, all, all the stuff you'd expect. And there's all that stuff as well as just like his mantra, which is like forbid empathy, all these other things basically to teach you, you know, this is what it takes. And that's what he says over and over again. This is what it takes. And, you know, it's fun and clever. It's basically like Gone Girl voiceover merged with the like anti-commercialism fight club voiceover. Because in Gone Girl, it was a lot of like, what are these people thinking? And also, they're revealing things about themselves when they do voiceover. And, you know, Fight Club just filled with all these lines, you know, whatever's slightly clever and slightly funny. And it's also saying something about capitalism. And it's like, haha, like surface level shit. But when you're 14, you go like, holy shit, that's mind blowing, which is not an indictment upon that film or any of the things in it. I have never had remotely a period where my very, very high opinion of Fight Club has been lowered. I refuse to fall to your bullshit woke standards. (laughs) The libtards are trying to take my movie. They're not. But that's fine. Anyway. So lots of clever stuff, and you can read into it as much as you want if that somehow makes you enjoy it that much more. Uh, a lot of people seem to think this is a very deep monologue. I seem to land somewhere in the middle. Uh, there's maybe some references that I didn't get that maybe went over my head. There's some that I got that were pretty good. And overall, it's just well-made, clever, well-written script. And... <clears throat> He is listening to his Smiths playlist, which is called Work Playlist. So when he kills people, he likes to listen to the Smiths. That's great. Uh, and that keeps fading in and out as it shifts to like the cinematic view of just the camera, which is basically through his sniper rifle. And then it cuts to him, and you're back in the room, and he works at a he's working out of like an abandoned WeWork because obviously nobody wants to do that shit. And that's how they keep tying in the more commercial stuff. Like, you just keep seeing lots of brands throughout this movie. And it's very funny and useful and whatever. So this is like a nice amalgamation type of movie. He botches the hit. He misses. Doesn't know how. Doesn't know how that happens. Uh, So that's kind of the thing that you kind of get to learn as we'll go through this. He just keeps saying how great he is, which is kind of the confidence that you need. But he also doesn't succeed that much all the time. But he also does keep reiterating, like, this is what it takes, the commitment to it, really. So it's like the reason why he's the guy for the job is that he will get the job done to whatever end that takes him to, which is then what unfolds in this Um but I guess part of the joke is that it is not this like sophisticated high level shit. Like, yeah, he may be killing some very important man in Paris for whatever reason, but he's staying in a WeWork and he's eating McDonald's and he flies commercial because he has to stay under the radar and all these types of things. 
So yeah, the next was it the next morning or before? But either way, yeah, he eats McDonald's. He's like, I can get protein, blah blah blah. A lot of voiceover up front. It kind of fades as it goes on, which I would say is the most inconsistent thing about the movie. I think it was way too heavy up front to where this guy's literally just talking for like 10, 15 straight minutes to open this up. And it's thoroughly entertaining. I guess I just thought it was going to be happening throughout the whole movie. And he kind of does keep doing a voiceover. It's just not to the same extent. Um, So I guess I was just disappointed at how blatant that was just exposition. Um, So obviously the, the guy has bodyguards and whatever, and they're aware that somebody fucking tried to shoot the guy and so he sends the guards they realize it came from across the street he narrowly escapes because he had like set up some hack with this scooter that i didn't really understand but i'm assuming he basically hacked like a like a zip car but it's a vespa because it's europe and it's gay (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so yeah anyway he's able to get away pretty much no problem he keeps kind of hiding out whatever um he gets to the u.s he has all these fake passports um and they're like sitcom characters like i want to say one of them was george jefferson but i could be wrong about that uh but anyway it's like a different one every time so there's just like all these little bits like that that they just kind of throw in there and they're very subtle they play everything completely straight in this like it's it's very Fincher in tone, which I guess is usually filled with a lot of humor. Like, who am I kidding? Um, but yes, it's filled with a lot of humor. Um, so he goes to the Dominican Republic, which I guess is like where he lives. And then, you know, generic stuff. His They came to his house after he botched the hit to try to clean up the loose end. His girl was there. They hurt her. Somehow didn't kill her, which I don't understand. Is that supposed to be a message? Like, technically, if the job, maybe they just didn't kill her because they, like, needed the info because he's still out there. That's what I think it was. That makes more sense. Um, yet they weren't still waiting for him somehow when he gets back. I don't really understand... It's kind of a flaw in the movie. Like, they went to his house, and then all they did was not kill his girlfriend, and then they left, and then he goes and finds the people that did it next. Um, so, yeah, I guess nobody's very competent in this movie at all is, like, part of the thing. Maybe it's just a commentary how no one's really that competent at anything, which is kind of true when you really think about it. Uh, anyway... So he tracks down like a he's able to figure out like which taxi was dropped to his house that the uh, the other assassins were in finds the driver gets the info he needs like you know and now we're on the goose chase now he has to go find the people that did it um and this is all very nihilistic like it's kill all loose ends there's like he keeps saying forbid empathy over and over and over again like There is no moment in this movie where the guy has, like, a change of heart or whatever. Like, this is an assassin movie if, like, Seinfeld and Larry David did it. Like, no learning. Another big flaw, though, is, like, why does this guy have the girlfriend at the house? 
that's just all very confusing. Aren't you supposed to be like the loner guy or whatever? Or it's like that's the one nice thing he has. I don't really know. I don't understand any of There's not enough backstory for that to make sense, but I guess the whole thing is just that this guy contradicts himself all the time, which is fine. Who doesn't? I guess. I try not to, but whatever. Uh, So once he gets the info, he goes to New Orleans um, because he has to... Basically, all he has is like a description of the people. So he has to go to like the guy who... His hired gun guy. The guy who assigns him work, which is just some lawyer in New Orleans. And they go to New Orleans. And he does all this really clever shit with like timing and uniforms. And he goes to Home Depot. And again, the commercial stuff. Everything in this is basically like you can... All it takes to be an assassin is like knowing what to buy and how to buy it smart. Pay cash at Home Depot, buy X amount of things. You can get into a building. Um, Later on, he just buys a fob copier on Amazon. Just copies a guy's fob, able to get into his building. Like, there's all these types of things. And it's just a recurring theme, you know, ties into the commercialism thing, but also is just like, yeah, this it doesn't take that much. Like, this guy isn't that smart. Again, you just got to be willing to keep doing it all the time. <clears throat> I mean, being a good shot doesn't hurt, you know, knowing how to fight and all that stuff. You get it. <clears throat> So they go to New Orleans. Uh, he gets he finally gets in the building, whatever. He's like, I'm going to shoot this guy in the chest with a nail gun, and then I'm going to interrogate him. And then the guy just drops dead, because why would that work? Yet another example of a like, yeah, here's all the things in my head of calculations I did. And then it's just like, oh, practically, that just didn't work. <laughs> which is what happens with the botch kill, and which is what happens with basically everything in this. Um. So he dies, and then there's, like, a secretary, and she, this is the Breaking Bad, she pulls the Lydia, like, my family needs to find me. Now, she says, for insurance, which is even more sick, whereas, like, Lydia was just an annoying bitch, she's like, my daughter needs to find me. And also, they didn't grant her that wish. Mike was like, nobody's gonna fucking find you, bitch. (laughs) Which is awesome. Um, The only type of empathy that he gives, yeah, he still kills the loose end. Um, but does give her the quote-unquote accidental death she desired. Breaks her neck, she falls down the stairs. Now, I heard some people be like, I didn't see that coming at all. I was like, how did you not? That was a hundred... The one I didn't see coming was him killing the taxi driver because it seemed like there was really... It was just unnecessary for him to do that, and I still think that. Um, but that's why I'm not a killer. Just kill them all. It's easier, I suppose. Um, but yeah, that didn't... Didn't surprise me at all, and it was just sick. Well, again, well executed, all that shit. Uh, So then he goes to Florida once he gets the information from the woman because he now knows who the two assassins he's after is. And last two loose ends, essentially, because those are the only people that know about it. The guy who hired him and the two that he sent to to clean it all up and kill him. Um. So the same type of thing. He's like, the guy's got a guard dog. My calculations say I have to do this to get the dog to fall asleep. Doesn't work. Uh, then he's like, I'm going to you know, break into the house and get this guy. The guy's completely aware that he's there. And he gets the shit kicked out of him. Ends up winning the battle. Um, there's some funny moments in the battle. Like he picks up a cheese grater and he's, you, know, you think he's going to use it as a clever weapon. Can't use it. Just tosses it to the side. Realistic. Fun. You know. 
Again, nothing here is going to blow your mind in the genre or of this story. It doesn't go too far out of convention, but it does all the unique stuff you'd like to where it doesn't feel like you've seen this movie before by any means. And the flawless direction by Fincher, like all the action sequences are incredible. There's not one complaint in framing the whole time. Like every shot is incredibly beautiful. It has his... Again, just unbelievable lighting where he manages to make it seem realistically dark, but you can still see. I just don't get how he's able to do that. No one else can do that. But nothing but respect. So, yeah, they have a nice little tussle and then he throws a fucking Molotov cocktail at the guy's house and burns it down. Hide all the evidence. That's an easy way to do it. Uh, my th- The throatiness is killing me. I'm trying to get through it. I'm trying to get through it. Okay, next up, this is my biggest gripe of the entire movie, and it's entirely a local and personal problem, and I'm going to ruin it for all of you. So everything in this movie at least very much seemed to be shot on location. All of a sudden, I mean, there's at least the right exterior shots. All of a sudden, this movie is set in Beacon, New York, which I don't know what the fuck that is. I had to look it up. But apparently people in New York know what that is. And it's essentially just a suburb of New York. But everybody in New York acts like everything is this fucking holy grail. Like, yeah, we have nice suburbs too. Which is literally the point that I'm going to make. That's not even New York. It's here. It literally is here. Why did they need to set it there? This, This is what completely took me out of the movie. So they're like, okay, we're in Beacon, New York. He gets off at a train station. And then... I see the train in the background. I'm like, wait, is that? No, it can't be. It's a Metra train. For those of you who don't know, those non-native to the area or whatever, the Metra train is the long-distance trains from Chicago. So they shoot you out of Chicago and they go wherever. Even they go, there's one that goes into Wisconsin, but they go very far. They go like 50 miles from the city max and. Basically every direction, um, except east, because then that just goes to Indiana. But there are even some that go to Indiana. So, yeah, they are long. Well, I don't know what those are called. Commuter trains? I think that sounds right. Um, and, it, yeah, it eventually, you know, the train was stopped at the train stop, and then it goes away, and you can literally see Metra in the background. And they cut to downtown, which is Beacon, New York, according to them. And I was like, wait a second. That's St. Charles, is it not? And then, well, I would, point being, either way, I was like, I know that that's set here. Why did they, you know, they use the train station here. So I looked up one of the, you know, restaurants or theaters, like whatever marquee big name thing on a building I could re- recall from the movie I looked it up after. It is. It was literally St. Charles downtown. Very nice place. I believe they filmed Road to Perdition there. My problem is just you call it Beacon, New York. It's immediately identifiable as not to everyone in this entire market. If not by just the train alone. So going back to my earlier gripes about the film nerds. Y'all didn't even notice that it wasn't this fucking place. (laughs) You know, 
you maybe you shouldn't recognize where it is like I did. I mean, that's a, you know, I understand. I'm not acting like everyone in the country should be upset. I understand that only people who could happen to recognize it are the people that would. And obviously things like this happen in movies all the time. But the point is, everything was filmed on location, at least appearing so. And I guess this kind of appeared so. But that's such a blatant oversight that you would think even David Fincher would maybe cover up the name of the train in the back or something or dress up something in the town. So I don't know. I don't know if people go that far to literally dress up the town. I don't know if that's an absurd thing because I probably would not have caught it had it not been for the train thing happening just before. I will admit that. Um, but yeah, I mean, how meticulous is this guy, you know? And I, that's also definitely a joke because I'm aware of how meticulous he is. Um, just odd and very much took me out of it. But then he immediately goes to a scene with Tilda Swinton. That's incredibly engaging and probably the, the strongest just straight up dialogue scene in the entire movie. I mean, not even probably. It definitely is. Um, where they basically have an intimate moment discussing the differences between their lives as assassins. Um, whereas she essentially just does all the opposite of his like mantra stuff. Um, and then he takes her out and kills her. And she makes it seem like she's not going to do it, but then uh, she was very clearly like about to counterattack on him. So it was the right decision. For him to do that. Um, so all the loose ends are cleared up. Except one. Who the fuck hired these people to go to hit? T- who hired me? And then who hired them to come kill me? So that's where we end up in Chicago. And I mean, that's also where it's pretty clear. Like, well, we're filming in Chicago. I can make a Chicago suburb look like Beacon, New York. Which, again, whatever that place is. And all of that lines up and that makes sense for production and yada, yada, yada. Again, just cover up the, the train name. Don't have that be in the shot. I, I don't know. I don't know. There's a solution there. Just whatever. <laughs> uh, so now he's in Chicago. He, like I said earlier, he uses like Amazon lockers. Obviously, with one of his fake identities, you would imagine. Um, gets a fob copier, does all the things. There's an insane amount of brands in here, so, you know, whatever. I don't remember which ones are which, but it's all very anti-commercial, but kind of just funny and, you know, whatever. However you want to look at it. Just a lot of good stuff in there. He gets into this guy's building, confronts him, and the guy's like, holy shit. <laughs> What are you doing here? Uh, I never put on a hit before, and the lawyer guy just said, yeah, clean up the loose ends. Why wouldn't you? And I was like, I didn't know what that meant. He's like, I don't have a fucking problem with you. (laughs) Please don't kill me. Just leave, you know, which everybody would say. And then he does just leave. For whatever reason, he just believes this one guy, and then he goes back to the Dominican Republic with his girl who's now fine, and they just hang out. And then that's just it. And it's kind of like, okay, so I understand that the plot of this was I'm cleaning up the loose ends. 
essentially, like very loose, minimal plot, and we know nothing about this guy or his personal life. So it's just like, what was that ending? I don't really get it. I don't know the motivation for him to not just kill that guy. I guess it's because he knew that that guy was such a non-threat and that he killed the guy he would have to hire to hire a hitman so he wouldn't know how to find another one. I don't really know. Or I guess that is what that is. Yeah, there's no way that he'd ever be able to find the hitman because how could he? There's literally no trace of him. So I guess that does make sense. But it's like, so what was that all for? But I guess that is what's interesting. So that's what Fincher brings to the table. There's the dynamic of like, well, I need to search for the answer of like kind of what the point of that was. So maybe was there one? I don't know. I kind of think no. I kind of think he just wanted to make a fun Hitman movie. And if you leave it open-ended, everybody's just going to lose their shit only because you're David Fincher. Whereas literally if someone else's name, if Paul Greengrass, I just thought of it because of Bourne, that he wouldn't have made this, but whatever. And that's even a higher level guy, even though he's not really a high level guy. Let's say Fede Alvarez made a Hitman movie and it was this exact movie. People would just be like, man, that ending was dog shit, huh? Like, you know what I mean? David Fincher is kind of just getting a pass for being David Fincher on some of the things that are just like technically not very good about this. <coughs> and I love it. I love the movie. This is like a solid 8.4 out of 10, you know? And really just that train in St. Charles thing. <laughs> I'm telling you, I cannot emphasize enough how much that bothered me. But the Smiths thing was kind of inconsistent. Like I said, the voiceover thing was definitely... Like, both of those elements of the movie were completely inconsistent. And, you know, maybe that's intentional, but I don't think it should be. And I'm allowed to make a critique. David Fincher doesn't get to dictate everything that should be good about his movie he should defend everything he did because why else would he have done it so i get all that but i just definitely refute the idea that this is that anything that i might criticize was definitely intentional that's just cop out bullshit to suck a guy's dick and like i'll suck his dick anyway that's still what i'm doing you know you think everybody that gets their dick sucked is perfect? They're not. <laughs> wow, that was one of my strongest metaphors, I would say, in the history of this show. Somebody clip that out. Um, But yeah, the counterpoint to that is also, as I stated earlier, like that was just an exercise for the negative things of the movie. Obviously, if Fede Alvarez directed this movie, every part of this movie would be worse. You know, he would not be able to direct this movie this well. Only David Fincher could do that. So how much of it is the material in the first place? Was there, I mean, I've never read this Norwegian graphic novel or whatever it's based on. I don't know if it's Norwegian. I might have made that part of it up. Uh, and, you know, how much did he work with Andrew, Co Andrew Kevin Walker back on the script, too? Guy who wrote Seven. Big deal. Uh 
how much of it did he just straight up write? And Fincher's just like, great, run it. Like, how much of that was collaborative? Like, you just don't know all these types of things. And so, yeah, even if the ending was supposed to mean something, the impact just wasn't there. It just kind of left you like, oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of knew he was going to succeed. He's either going to succeed and or die at the end. Like, those are the only two options. And as soon as they went to um, the Dominican, it's like, well, yeah, he's either going to end up back here or he's going to die or he's going to die back here. One of the two. Like, you know what I mean? This is going one of two ways. Um, and yeah, I mean, the girl, like, unnecessary to have her in the movie, honestly. I would have preferred if they just John Wicked it and, like, his dog was injured, not even killed. Still keep it an injured thing. But maybe he goes to his trashed house and he just finds his dog injured because his dog put up a fight against the assassin. You know what I mean? I honestly think that that would be stronger because his whole thing is like, I'm this loner guy. And again, I, as I've stated multiple times in here, like he's supposed to be like a somewhat unreliable narrator because he fails when he says he's good. So whatever. The guy's an enigma. Maybe that's just the whole point. Everybody's an enigma the end i don't know i i'll just say ending didn't really work for me but i'd like to watch it again and really determine that i am still on one watch remind you um so my opinion could change but regardless the film is great only one major flaw if you live in the western northwestern suburbs one of those two you might you might be a little upset you've ever been on a long commuter train ride in the Chicago land area. So yeah, that's the killer. Go watch it if you haven't. Um you should have saw it in theaters, let me tell you. I loved it. Um and I love David Fincher. This doesn't this is not top 5 David Fincher. But that was expected. I don't think that's what he wanted. You know, that burp just fell out. I literally didn't even do that. Just as I was talking, it just came out. Um. Wow, that really threw me off. Sorry, had a little delay there. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. Your boy is sick. This was hard to get through. Like I said, I play through the pain for y'all. No worries. Uh, but I can't continue. This cannot be a longer episode. I've been pausing more and more frequently just to hack it up and drink some Wawa. Okay. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate, review, and subscribe directly on for Tuesday. Drops every Tuesday morning. Don't forget it. Um, unless I say otherwise, which is rare. But every Tuesday, new episode next Tuesday. On Apple, Spotify, all the big ones, you name it. Blowing up on iHeartRadio still. So the Zoomers or the Boomers or somebody's listening. So thank you. Appreciate all the support out there. Please rate, review, and subscribe and share and just do that. And all that goes a really long way. Um, For everybody that listens could do one or more or all of those things. Uh, Who knows where we'll end up. So thank you. Yeah, check out the links in the description below. We got lots of good stuff. 
uh, music, more episodes, some video stuff, uh, Justice's show, Microwave Minutes, uh, which I've been on multiple times. So, yeah, a lot. And obviously, this is episode 165. So, if you're new to the program, check out some of the older ones. Hope you enjoy. I'll talk to you next Tuesday. And remember, I are fat. You are fat. We are fat. Calculator.